G'day, I'm Greg Murphy, and I'm here with Nathan Wallace, neuroscience educator. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about fatigue and driving. Great to see you, mate. Kia ora, Greg. We know that fatigue is, is enormous, and I mean, people mm. are, are driving tired and, and ill-prepared a, a lot. Yep. What's what's going on in the brain when it's when? Tell me about that and fatigue. I mean, fatigue is like a, a form of stress to the brain. So we go back to those scales yes. again. That the more tired you get, then the more aroused your brainstem is. So correspondingly, you start to lose that brain number four, that ability to focus your attention, to appropriately you know, ascertain what the risk is, all of that good stuff in brain number four. I mean, probably nothing more than sleep in lots of ways um, undoes that and arouses that brainstem. Yeah. You know, sleep is so fundamental to our well-being. And so, what, what, what is it? What, what is fatigue then? I suppose. Is it, what's a bit? Uh, well, or fatigue is it just that is, obvious. It can, yeah, it can just be a fatigue. Can just be a lack of sleep. You know, um, or maybe you're getting the appropriate number of hours of sleep, but you're not getting a quality, quality. sleep. I mean, that's one of the things. One of the major practices in New Zealand is to have a few beers before you go to bed. You know, I mean, we could have a whole talk on that, just that New Zealand has a very binge drinking culture. So our levels of what we think is normal amounts of alcohol is quite high in comparison to other countries. So, I mean, we know if you have um, beers before you go to sleep, then actually you have multiple times where you wake up during the night. So that interferes, you don't remember it, yep. because your brain yep. links those sleep cycles together. Um, but that when you've had multiple wakeful periods, then that stops you going into REM sleep. And it's really the more REM sleep you have, yes. that you, the more um, refreshed you are. In fact, just to give you an idea of how important REM sleep is, when we deprive rats of REM sleep, they die at the same rate as if you're starving them. So REM sleep seems to be, to your physiological body, as important as nutrition and eating. And yet we still don't fully understand everything that happens in REM sleep. We just know that if you don't get that, you're incredibly fatigued. So someone who's, same with marijuana, someone who's getting stoned just before they go to bed, it's the same as someone who's um, getting drunk just before they go to bed. It might, in your perception, feel like you're falling to sleep easier. It might yeah. even feel like you're going into a deeper sleep, but you're not. If we had you hooked up to the equipment, you are staying in a light sleep, and you're waking up frequently without even being conscious of it. So it's just that if you're going to have beers before you go to bed, um, don't, don't do it just before you go to bed. You know, it's um, it's very different to have had them at you know six o'clock when yep. you get home. You have a couple of beers, and then you've got a couple of hours before you go to bed. Then you'll get a much higher quality sleep than the person who downs the beer, goes to the toilet, and then goes to bed. People must be people must be just getting so used to being in that whole fatigue state that they just don't even recognise it anymore. And then yeah, we come back to that thing where your reality isn't really what's happening in front of you; it's what you perceive reality to be and what you predict it to be. So yeah, people have normalised the amount of um, stress and not sleeping. We've, um, you know, so by the time someone nods off and is conscious of the fact that oh, I just nodded off, you've had lots of, you typically had lots of micro sleeps before that. So you've actually been unsafe for quite a long time before you get to the conscious point. So that would mean any sensible person you would think, as soon as you have that first nod off, you would know that you would pull over and have a sleep. But of course, if you don't have metacognition, you don't know that. You just think, oh, that's the start of it. It's working against you that if you've never had an accident, I mean, most of us have a 100% success rate at having felt that nod and yet carried on driving and not had a car accident. So that works against us because we start to perceive that, oh, I can do that. It's, it's not as bad as it seems. It's similar to that ego stuff we talked about before, our, our, our risk assessment, perceived risk as opposed to actual risk. So we're encouraged in that situation to perceive that we're not really at risk, that I can fight that, that I can overcome that. Yeah, um, whereas actually you're at quite a high risk by, by the time you're nodding off at the wheel. And so then, um, you know, we, we, you go to work and uh, you're driving along and it's like, okay, no, nah, I, can, I can manage this because I'm just going to have a coffee or I'm going right, to have an yeah. energy drink. Yeah. 
um, that's going to give me the pep that I need to, you know, just continue on. Yeah. And it does in a way because it certainly elevates your heart rate. And yep. so that um, your elevated heart rate, that's really arousing that brainstem though. So it gives you that bolt of feeling. And so you'll have a, a quick second of being more alert. But it's kind of like, um, you know, energy drinks are like, um, we equate them to like um, cigarette smoking. People who have a cigarette perceive that they're um, less stressed afterwards. And you'd actually, on a heart monitor, their heart rate's just gone up and their blood pressure's just gone up. Their body's more stressed, even though they perceive themselves to have relaxed from having a cigarette. Same with an energy drink. It's, you might perceive that you've given yourself a little burst, yeah, but, but yeah. actually that's followed by a lull. That's how they work. You know, yeah. they, so it's followed by a lull after a cigarette to make you want another cigarette. The energy drink is followed by a lull. So sugar, caffeine, and the four things that really arouse, you, arouse your brainstem so the things we want to avoid, we talk about cats. Caffeine, alcohol, tobacco, and sugar. They're the four things that um, lower your neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to be adaptable, and that's really because it arouses a lot of those stress response systems. That little burst we get from the coffee, feels like it's waking us up, it's actually giving a little burst to the brainstem, the very thing we're trying to calm so down. It's completely working in the opposite. It's counterproductive. Yeah, and it's an illusion that it's uh, that it's helping. Even though when you have that coffee, you might feel more awake for the next five, ten minutes. It's going to be followed by even more tiredness than you had before yeah. you had the coffee. Yeah, mm. and so really, I mean, okay, sleep is is so critically important to mm. to be able to, to for us to function yep. properly. But yep. but and then on top of that, then the best thing you can be doing, from my experience too, and, and from you know being prepared to drive a race car and for yep. endurance for a couple of mm -hmm. hours of time whatever it is I mean that, that that physical preparation you sleep 100% I know if I didn't have sleep and you you just turn up at the racetrack the next morning yeah and you know you've got to go it is so hard to get yep. engaged mm. yes you start to when you um, you know all the internal drugs come into your system through you know the uh, when you get in the race car and it all starts to yeah, dopamine and stuff. Yep, dopamine and adrenaline, all that kind yep. of that gets you going. And I mean, it's incredible, incredible stuff. Even though when you're used to it, you don't feel it anymore. It's still there, and it yep. and it does get you going. Yeah. But you know, the, the other things are clearly uh, hydration, making mm -hmm. sure that your body is 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 hydrated. Yep. And obviously feeding it correctly with the right the right food to actually yep. do that. And I mean, regularly, it's also time. And, and regularly, yeah. You know, cause you I mean, I know if I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't drink water, even when I'm just a normal day, if I don't drink enough water, yep. I, I end up being tired before yeah. I should be. Yeah, people underestimate how much hydration, because your brain, you know, just how much it impacts. Because your brain is gonna shut down from the, the last on, the first off. So it's those higher functions in brain number four are the very ones that start to, as soon as you start to get dehydrated, shut down. You see this right across all the sort of different industries I work in. When you work with kids with behaviour problems, one of the most fundamental things we can do to respond to a kid that's misbehaving is first of all give them a drink of water. And because actually what you want to do is bring online that frontal cortex. They haven't got a fully developed one because they're a child, yep. but you want to sort of use as much of it as there. So you really start off on the right foot by giving them a drink of water um, straight away. You know, that helps to hydrate the brain. It also, but you have to regulate and calm the brainstem when you drink water. You, if you're dysregulated, you know, you're being chased by a, a saber-toothed tiger, your ancestors, you couldn't drink a glass of water halfway through that chase because you would drown. So when you bring the glass of water up to your mouth and you go to drink, in that second just before you drink, you actually re-regulate your whole system and you regulate your breathing in order to be able to drink, and that helps to calm the brainstem down. So it's working on two levels. It's the ritual of calming your brainstem by drinking, because you can't do that in a dysregulated state, but it's also hydrating you. This... <laughs> How have we managed to misinform mm. uh, with some of these things so 
you know, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's advertising, it's, all, it's just what we, we read, what yeah. we believe, I don't know, but we've, we really have misinformed when it comes to these kinds of things, when you, you know, you are trying to, you know, you, you are, say, you've got some fatigue in the, and, and, and here we are, I mean, how many people believe that, oh, if I have an energy drink or have yeah. a coffee, I'm, 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 I'm going to be better off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that, you're right, that is advertising and it is belief and it is based on partial truth because people click into that, oh, I've had a coffee and I get a little spark, so it must be true, but they're not seeing the whole process. So, yeah, sleep is different than most people think it is because you have a perception that you go to bed and you go to sleep for seven or hours and then you wake up again. But actually, you've learned to link sleep cycles together. I mean, you see this with young children because they don't come home from the hospital generally and sleep eight hours. They sleep for a couple of hours. We actually have, like, you have you know, three or four sleep cycles during the night where you're going, you're in a light sleep, you're going to a deep sleep. When we talk about REM sleep, that's just rapid eye movement where your eyes move rapidly and we just know that's a deep restorative sleep. Um, but you've got four of these cycles throughout the night and you learn to link your sleep cycles together. So you're not conscious of the fact that there's four times a night when you come close to waking up because the, um, that's when you pull your blankets off the cover and or, you know pull the covers off your, off your partner and roll over and you're close to waking but you've learned to link your sleep cycles together. Oftentimes um, mothers um, don't ever link their sleep cycles together again. Their kids have grown up and they've started sleeping through the night but mum still wakes up three or four times during the night. As we get older, we wake up to go to the toilet. So we're in between our sleep yep. cycles. We can no longer sleep through. We have to get up to go to the toilet. Um, it's just an indication that actually you're not sleeping for seven or eight hours. You're linking your sleep cycles together. That's why I think um, when you're yeah, when you have a sleep incident on the road where you are, have a microsleep, you're not necessarily aware of it because your brain, uh, well, you're often not aware of it because your brain has learned to link your sleep cycles together just like you're not aware when you wake up during the night. Just like the people who have alcohol just before they go to sleep aren't aware that they're waking up multiple times throughout the night and preventing that REM sleep um, because your brain isn't focused on, on concentrating on that. But because sleep is so you know fundamental, it's down in that brain number one. So you know when you don't get enough sleep and you're, you're, you've, um, you're fatigued, then brain number one as the foundation is going to affect all the other brains as well. So like your motor skill brain, yeah. that automatic behaviour, that's going to be slightly slower if you're fatigued and your brain stems aroused. Then there's much more activity happening in that brain number one. You just don't have the juice to operate the rest of it properly. So brain number two, your reflex times are going to go down. Brain number three, your emotional brain, you're much more susceptible to um, stress, perceiving things negatively, reading someone's facial expression as negative rather than positive. Your emotional brain is also going to be fatigued. And then, of course, you've got your frontal cortex, the one you need for driving. That's judging distance and, you know, um, and, and risk assessment. All of those three brains are going to be impacted by a lack of sleep. So it really is, you know, fundamental to our well-being. And, and if you haven't had sleep, I mean, yeah, the higher in the brain it is, we go back to those scales again. Someone who's fatigued has got hardly any frontal cortex going on. So their ability to really be safe on the road, to really assess risk and stuff, they might perceive in their ego, no, I'm all right. But actually, if you're sleep fatigued, you're not all right. It's just not really biologically impossible for you to access all that stuff. And there's probably not a, there's almost, I don't know, there probably is a worse place, but it's going to be one of the worst places to be, sitting in a cab all by yourself then. Yep. In that situation where yeah, that's yeah. all happening. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and then if you're... Really um, challenging. Yep. Have the heater up too high and you're yep. toasty warm as well. That's going to add to that sleep inducement stuff. Um, yeah, you're, you're kind of in some ways set up in a cab being isolated being in a, th a temperature controlled environment, you're kind of set up in some ways to be... Um, to fail. To fail, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I would imagine, I mean, 
drugs is a big issue too. Yeah. You know? uh, mm -hmm. With with well these days at any time any yep. people in any job. Yeah. But again, I mean. You know, if, if someone's uh, taking, well, you know, uh, marijuana or they you know, pee or whatever it is, yep. I mean, the effects that that's going to have yeah. combined with some of those other things like fatigue as well. Yeah, yeah. And then they all have different in, different interactions with the brain, those drugs. I mean, pee's, you know, are clearly a whole lot worse than marijuana. I think if people are on marijuana, they've, they've got an understanding and their brain knows they're a little bit fatigued. They know that their reaction times are a little bit yep. slower often. Whereas P, methamphetamine, creates this illusion that you're actually sharper. Yeah. So people will actually believe that they're um, a better driver on something like methamphetamine. Whereas people don't necessarily believe that as much on marijuana because it doesn't interact with the brain in the same way. So it's particularly dangerous that because you're perceiving that everything's you know, cool. That everything's cool when you may not have slept for 24 hours, but you think, yeah. oh no, I've, I've taken this drug that's made me Superman, whereas it's actually made you very disabled, man. You know, it's your perception. You're now riding on that automatic brain. And you're really hoping that, yeah, yeah, you're really hoping that no novel stuff does come up because your perception is that you're sharper, but if we measured you, your reaction times are way slower. You know, your, that thing we talked about, how your, you know, 93% of what you're seeing is yep. prediction. Yep. I mean, that'll go up a lot when you're on P. It's probably 99% of what you're seeing is prediction, and there's only really 1% left if it picks up on that, wow. on that stuff. But because you don't know it, your, your ego makes you even more confident. So you're massively... It's just compounds. It does, it compounds, yeah. I mean, methamphetamine is a big problem because of the way it interacts with the brain like that and fools people into thinking, similar to what we said about the energy drinks before, that you have an energy drink, you feel like you're yeah. more sharp and alert, but actually um, all that stuff goes downhill, not uphill. It's just multiplied massively on, a, That's on right. drugs. That's yeah. right, yep, yeah. Mm. Um, so uh, with the whole sleep thing and fatigue, if it's... Uh, that you know you're driving along. Um, if you have the nous to actually go right, I'm going to take a pound out. Right. It, yep. Does it does it work? I, I personally I think it does. Yeah, yeah. Because well, from from experience. Yep, it does. It does. I mean, I think that's what we call it a power nap now instead of a nana nap. You know, rather than it being associated <laughs> with like a negative thing that yep. you were tired, yep. so you needed sleep, have a nana nap. We call it a power nap now because we know. I mean, NASA did all that research around just what seems to be the ideal length of sleep. Everyone's got their own genome, so people are slightly different, but I think they come up with 24 to 26 minutes. You know, so if I am tired and I pull over on the side of the road and I have a 24 minute nap, um, then actually, well, according to their research, that gives you about three and a half hours of alertness from a 24 minute sleep. It is to do with how long you sleep, though. It's not the longer the better, because if you sleep for longer, you go into a more deep sleep cycle. If you then wake up, you know, 40 minutes later, you can feel groggier and yeah, more yep, tired yep. than when you went to sleep. So it is about the length, but yeah, the power nap is a real thing. It does really help as long as you do it for the right amount of time. So that, so that needs to be bought into more of a change in our culture and the way we operate and, and yep. you know, part of what is supported for, yeah. say, truck drivers. Yep. Um, you know, if it's at that point where they, you know, they mm. need to be encouraged to actually do these things. Yeah. I wonder if there are less accidents. I mean, it'd be hard to compare, but in a country like Spain, where you have where it's normal practice for everyone to have a siesta. I mean, I know myself, this is one of the things I learned from COVID, that, um, that actually having that afternoon sleep for about 20 minutes makes the rest of my afternoon far, far more productive yep. than if I just go for one whole day. You know, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, I don't want to go to sleep. When I don't know if I could have gone to sleep when I was younger. It was hard to go to sleep during the middle of the day. Mm. I needed kids and to be sleep deprived and stuff before I yep. could do that. But, um, 
Yeah, I would have thought that going to sleep in the middle of the day would just sort of disengage me and I'd be disengaged for the rest of the afternoon. But the opposite happens. My productive period's in the morning, in the first half of the day. In the last half of the day, I do more stuff that I don't have to yeah. focus yeah. so hard yeah. on. It's a wee bit more automatic. It's hard to write, hard, much harder to write an email that makes That's sense. That's right, yeah. 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 I don't have to write a book, so I get much more book writing done in the morning and not in the afternoon. But if I have that afternoon sleep, either just that 20 minutes, that 24 minutes, then actually the afternoon's like another morning. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a, a wise cultural change to take on board to incorporate those sleeps. Yeah, that's a so with everything we've just talked about there around the sleep and, yep. and trying to control that and power naps and, and you know, all the things we're doing wrong, um, <laughs> then we go and throw in shift work. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the whole rhythm of sleep, circadian yep. rhythms. Yeah, yep. well, that's it. <laughs> so how, how do we go and manage all that then on top wow, of that? Wow, yeah, your circadian rhythm and shift work don't really match up very well together. Like your circadian rhythm is basically your wake and sleep cycle. So, you know, I go to sleep at around about 11 o'clock at night and I wake up at about 6 o'clock in the morning. So that's, your, that's, that's moderated by essentially two hormones, melatonin that makes you go to sleep. And so that's, if I'm going to sleep at 11 o'clock at night, that melatonin is building up and building up at 10 o'clock, I'm yawning, you know, because I've got a fair bit of melatonin in my system. If I stay up until half past 11, I might fall asleep on the couch because I've got so much melatonin. So that's what's making you go to sleep. And then um, cortisol is the hormone that's waking you up in the morning. So when my alarm goes off at six, I'm normally pretty much awake before that. I sometimes wake up at one minute to six and mm. I'm getting up because it becomes so cyclic that your body expects that circadian rhythm. You do have this ability to adjust because it's interesting. We seem to have a 25-hour biological clock, but we live in a 24-hour world. So when we put people into dark caves with no reference to night and day and no clocks and stuff, um, we find that they go into a 25-hour circadian rhythm. And because we live in a 24-hour world, that means there's always a little bit of catch-up. And you're always playing to adjust for that hour. That's why I don't wake up at exactly 7 each day. It might be a few minutes before, it might be a few minutes after. Because you're always adjusting slightly. But, um, yeah, so how that works it means that if you are not, you know, if for shift work, your body takes a long time to adjust. I mean, I think this is what was happening with my brother-in-law. Is that really, the shift had finished. He was supposed to go to bed that day to get sleep before going to work that night but he had just finished another shift where a circadian rhythm had been that you are awake during the day. So technically we can say he had the time to go to sleep, but it meant he had to go to sleep after only having been up at about for about eight hours. Yeah. You know? So in order to get the sleep, to sleep bank it, yep. so that he had enough sleep. Whereas really I think what was happening for him and most drivers is when that changed on that first day, which was the day he was killed, um, there is that, that much higher risk of of having an accident because your circadian so rhythm takes longer to adjust than that. Yeah. yeah, It's just not very biologically respectful to have people shifting from shift to shift because your circadian rhythm just doesn't shift that quickly. So, so, um, but if you get into and you spend, I don't know, so 10 years doing shift work, uh, at night work, you're yeah. at night. Oh, you're fine then. You're fine. Yeah. You're fine because your circadian rhythm is adjusted to that. It's yeah. switching from one to the other. That doesn't matter if it's yeah. dark or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You get used to your circadian rhythm. Night, people are always doing, you know, the same I used to have a job where I worked night shift at a drug and alcohol detox centre and it was at 11 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning. And so for those couple of years, that was fine, you know, because you adjusted your circadian rhythm to that. I mean, you do things to adjust. I was having to go to sleep during the day in the mm. daylight, so you have a face mask, mask thing yeah. on so because the darker it is the more melatonin you release so sleeping during the day can be challenging but you compensate for those things so we, we've really got to then you've got to have really good um systems in place if you're going to adjust people yep from 
you know doing that shift work and and going from a you know a day cycle to a night cycle you've, yeah. you've got to you've got to give the ability or the time to be able to prepare to buy to biologically change i mean like yeah. i said in that example yes yeah, it's very well theoretically to say to someone oh well, you've got eight hours to go to sleep there yeah. but if you're asking them to do that after only having been up for eight hours that's not really very realistic so to switch over there probably should have been at least an extra day what would, what things. should what what well what should it be? I mean, what what is is there a is there a? Well, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research to show exactly what it should, should be. Yeah. I'd imagine for a lot of people, it's going to take more than one day. Mm. But at least having that one day where you try to go to bed and go to sleep, but you've only been up for eight hours and you only sleep for a light time, then the next day when you go to bed at that time, it should been be better. a little bit. It should be better. There's a little bit of an adjustment. But I mean, for many people, it's going to take two or three or four days to change that. So. It's hard to get the literature to support actually switching someone from one to the other without having a decent break in between in order to change mm. the circadian rhythm. But there does need to be more respect for it. Yeah, um, absolutely. From from those that are asking people to do these things, yep. there needs yep. to be there needs to be more time given. Yeah. You can't just you can't just turn it around. I mean, I no. think that's a logical thing to expect yep. that you can't just switch over. Mm. Just like I noticed when I was in China, did lots of work in China, and drugs and like melatonin, the one that makes you go to sleep, you can just buy over the counter in China. So I noticed lots more people used that to regulate their rhythm, to change it. Oh. It's like, oh, I've only been up for eight hours, but I need to go to sleep. I will take a couple of melatonin pills, and that's the natural chemical that puts you to sleep, helps to adjust your circadian rhythm. I mean, we don't have the free access to those. You have to go to the doctor to get them here. But I mean, that's biological support, but you're still going to have a higher accident rate than someone who is actually just given the time to adjust. It's naturally. Kind of, yeah, mm -hmm. naturally. I mean, that, that thing about being in a 25-hour biological clock we're living in a 24-hour world means we've got a little bit of adaptability so you think things like daylight savings well that's only an hour that we might be able to adapt easily given this 24 25 hour thing but putting that on top of a world where we're already quite sleep deprived and people are already fatigued um, they're already you know maybe waking up multiple times during the night because you see this in the statistics around the accidents when we gain an hour I mean, we've just gained an hour. I felt that the other day when Didn't I was. Didn't I just? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh no, I've got another hour. Oh, chill. Yeah. You know? oh, I, look, well, I looked at my phone and I'm yeah. like, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah I could literally yeah. feel it. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, I can I can chill out a bit because yeah, there's yeah, a bit yeah. of extra time. But life's given me another hour. But it works the other way, you know, when we, we lose that hour. Away. So now the person, you know, their brain could still be loaded with, you know, filling up with melatonin. They haven't got the right cortisol to be awake yet. Um, yeah. If, if everything was ideal, it doesn't sound like a much, right? But it has a big effect. It, it big can effect. have a massive effect. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the statistics around the increased number of accidents on that day, that's the worst day of the year, the car accidents, when we lose that hour. Because people are already sleep deprived. So to add that extra hour on, it's just, it's draw the break the camel's back often. <laughs> <laughs>